Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 70, Friday, December 27th, 2019, and this is going to be the final Doggy Juice Podcast episode of 2019. I've been dealing with some tech issues, so for any of you who are on a routine or missed the normal release of the pod, I apologize for that. I'd like to start out this podcast by thanking all of you for listening this year. It's pretty surreal that we're 70 episodes into this now, and it feels just like yesterday when I was putting a bow on 2018. So much has happened in the past year and a half since PASPA was overturned. So I'll start out today's pod with a quick look at where things stand for sports betting here in America as we close out 2019 and enter a brand new decade. And then I'll dive into college football bowl games and finish up with a look at the NFL Week 17 card, our final week of the 2019 NFL regular season. Let's jump right in. Just a year and a half ago, you can only legally bet in one U.S. state. Today, 20 states have legalized sports betting in one form or another, and you can actually legally go make a bet in 13 states right now at this time at the end of 2019. Um, And in those 13 states, sports betting has officially gone live with a legal, regulated sports betting market um, that exists there. And those states are obviously Nevada, Delaware, New Jersey, Mississippi, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Arkansas, New York, Iowa, Indiana, New Mexico, where tribes offer it under a Class Three gaming compact, and Oregon, where the state lottery is seemingly doing everything it can to screw things up. But just this year, 2019, we had several states uh, pass sports betting bills that haven't launched yet, including my home state here in Illinois, which legalized it back in June of this year. Check out my pods from earlier in the year uh, covering this for more information. I believe that's like the late 40s in terms of you know episode, the high 40s or something like that. It was over the summertime. Uh, but Illinois did pass the law. Obviously, I've been covering that on the podcast pretty extensively um, since that time. It's pretty much all, all I was talking about on the pod at that time. Uh, but besides Illinois, we have Maine, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Tennessee. And just this week, Michigan as states who passed laws in 2019 that have not got going yet, but expect all of those to get going in 2020 at the turn of the new decade. And on top of that, almost every state, not all of them, but most of them, have seen some sort of sports betting bill get introduced in one form or another in 2019. And by the end of next year, I expect over half the states in our wonderful union to be offering legalized, regulated sports betting with many more in line to come on board uh, right after that. We truly are living in a a brand new age. It's a big reason why I started doing this podcast in September of last year in the first place, because obviously saw this coming. And to be honest, it's it's happening at about the pace I kind of expected when I really think about it. I haven't totally like sat back and and really thought where we're at compared to what what my expectations were when I started doing this podcast. But I knew it was going to explode and and people that are kind of keyed into the industry kind of expected that to be the case. And and I'm impressed, though. I mean, 20 states right now, and you can bet in 13 of them at the end of, of the 2019 calendar year is pretty impressive. So it's it's about where I thought it would be, uh, but an El- more of an Illinois-specific look because most of my listeners reside uh, in Chicago or the Chicagoland area where I live. But as predicted on here half a year, or sorry, half a year ago when the law was passed, Illinois made a huge mess of things. And as I touched on here in the pod in depth back in May and June, it was a bittersweet period of time back then because they did legalize it. I mean, it was pretty awesome to see your state legalize sports betting, but they also made a royal mess of everything. Too many hands in the cookie jar, and 
they ended up opening up the law for public comment back in September. And of course, you know, I wrote, I wrote very, I, I don't want to say heated words, but kind of my take on how the reasons why I thought that they screwed up the sports betting bill and sports handle really excellent website to get sports betting industry news sports handle wrote up an excellent summary on the public comment period a month or two ago. And they actually quoted me in that article, which is pretty cool. You should check it out. It's written by uh, a writer named Jill Dorson there. But the Illinois Gaming Board, they, they've been working on the rules and regulations since passing the bill. And a lot of it's still up in the air as we flip the calendar. But the good news for this is, and, and they were obviously using some of the the information and, and um, I guess, points of view that they heard from the, the open comment period to maybe craft the laws or at least hear what people had to say, because there's a lot of competing interests at play. And the good news is, just this past week in Illinois, they finally opened up the license application process and posted some general rules, not really betting-specific rules yet, but it is onwards and upwards from here, and I'm going to be reading every single damn word of this as it's posted, so if anyone has any questions on it, please feel free to reach out on Twitter, at Doggy Juice, and I'll be more than happy to explain what I know as things continue to unfold, but it is a really exciting time here, no matter what, no matter what even if you don't agree with the law or, or how they wrote it and, and the problems with the law, which I, I do think there are a lot of problems with the Illinois law, the fact that it, it exists is a huge deal, and 2020 is going to be a huge year for sports betting, especially locally here in Chicago. But more grand picture thinking here, there are a couple of big issues that are going on in the sports betting space that I'm paying particular attention to because I think it's going to have how these are resolved or how they're dealt with is going to have a massive impact on the way the industry continues to, to take shape here in the States. And the first issue that's really coming to light you know, since all these European companies have started to take over and make their presence felt and, and are part of this massive land grab here in America after they legalized it state by state, and we have 20 states now that have done it, but the issue of limiting or kicking out sharp action and the value of keeping sharp action. Um, I've said in a previous episode recently, I highly recommend listening to Spanky's podcast called Be Better Betters. He really dives into this subject matter himself, and it's he's a professional better who he doesn't break down any games in his podcast, but he talks about how difficult it is to get down and what the industry is like right now and how certain books are just completely eliminating sharp action or um, or limiting heavily that sharp action and, and saying one thing and, and actually doing another. And there's this whole debate now whether or not you know, it's even advantageous for them to limit sharp action and, and refuse sharp money, uh, not only from the moral aspect of, hey, this is un-American, you know, we welcome this because it's an American thing to do, but, but also from, you know, you have to really wonder how much these books are missing out by limiting sharps because you hear a lot of sharp people out there like uh, oddsmaker Robert Walker, with U.S. bookmaking, he's you know, he thinks that there's a lot of value to taking sharp action, and I agree. I think books are shooting themselves in the foot by not doing it because that helps shape your line by taking sharp action. And and you see this this issue going on in a lot of these European books, and it boils down to those European companies and European influence flooding the market here in the States and bringing their models here. And in my opinion, what works in Europe ain't necessarily going to work here in America. That's a huge issue right now in the industry. There's really also, as Spanky's come out and said, there's not as much of a voice for the, the American better. You know, everyone, the European model pretty much expects betters to lose. You know, recreational betters, they welcome that action, expect betters to lose, but they don't want that sharp action that's that's taking advantage of, of mispricing and stuff. But I think by eliminating that action and that 
those sharp opinions, you are exposing yourself in, in the long run. It's a subject I want to dive more into at depth, and I want to bring on some people that really could speak more to this with, um, for lack of a better term, uh, more more of like experience and knowledge than I have. But I've been realized, you know, I've been paying attention to this and, and realized it's a huge issue as time went on, and it's really coming to the forefront now. I think as we switch the calendar uh, to 2020, but another big issue besides that one is the continual fight over data. And this is a big topic that I've been covering in the University of New Hampshire sports wagering and integrity program that I'm doing in, in an issue that persists as we move into the new decade. There are battles going on on who owns certain data, like athletic or athlete biometric data uh, being one. Leagues have been trying to strong arm states into inserting rules that require official data to be used to settle certain wagers, certain tiered wagers. And Tennessee and Illinois were the first states to cave here and actually put something in their laws to that effect. And I worry that others are going to follow suit and establish a poor precedent where the leagues kind of have their hands in the cookie jar and that's hamstringing operators uh, from being able to operate in the optimal manner. You know, when they're having to pay off leagues for something they don't necessarily need to pay off leagues for, uh, it's, it's troubling, to say the least. And I've been... I've had that opinion all along, and I'm not going to waver from that. But those are the big issues, the, the fight over data and – or is it data or data? I don't know. Someone tell me if I'm mispronouncing it. But the fight over data and the the issue of, of limiting sharp action. I think those are the two big issues as we move into the new decade. But there's big things coming in 2020. And like I said, many more states are about to join the ones that already offered legalized regulated sports betting. But the big things I expect to happen in 2020, like I said, include Illinois finally going live, likely later in the year. And then the other one is New York offering mobile betting. I think that's going to there's no denying that's going to be massive once that happens when you consider New York City and just the massive reach that sports betting can have if it goes mobile in New York. So those are two things to pay attention to. I think California looks like it's still a couple of years away, just the way things are going in that state. But Illinois and New York mobile. It's, legal, it's already legalized um, and, and live in New York, but you can only do it in person. But once New York goes mobile, all bets are off. No pun intended. All right, let's break down some college football bowl games. Hello! So back to the college football bowl game breakdown. I missed the Friday games, unfortunately. Like I said, I had some tech issues this week at Doggy Juice Pod headquarters. Didn't get to preview my Iowa Hawkeyes ahead of their San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl game against USC tonight. But there were some great games Friday. Hopefully people had some winners. Moving on to Saturday's game, though. The the first, or, or sorry, four games Saturday. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic is the first one. Number 10, Penn State. is a seven-point favorite over number, number 17, Memphis. That's at 11 a.m. Central Time on ESPN. We're not going to see a substitute teacher effect here for Memphis because the interim head coach is going to be, or sorry, the interim coach is going to be the head coach next year. Memphis is going to be ready to be there. They're going to be excited. I'm not so sure that the same could be said about Penn State. I think the market agrees, which is why this game is less than a touchdown. During the regular season, I would have had this line closer to 10 on a neutral, but you have to wonder about Penn State's motivation in this spot. You know, Memphis will care. I definitely lean Penn State's side here, though, especially at six and a half under a touchdown. That's the way I'm looking. Still haven't gotten involved yet because I'm trying to get a feel for the Nittany Lions, but Penn State's defense is unlike anything Memphis has seen all year. 
And um, another thing to note, though, Penn State's offensive coordinator left to take the job at Old Dominion. So it's a bit troublesome for me, just the fact that there's that lack of continuity with the extra 15 practices that they get. But talent-wise and the fact that Penn State's defensive line, I think, is just going to eat Memphis up or could, you know, if they actually are motivated in this game, has me, that has me leaning Penn State's way in that game. The Camping World Bowl, number 15, Notre Dame, is a 3.5-point favorite against Iowa State. That's Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Time as well on ABC. Iowa State was one of my favorite buy-on teams at the start of the season. I feel like I've been a broken record on here with how much I like Coach Matt Campbell and quarterback Brock Purdy. And assuming Campbell sticks around next year, but be on the lookout for this team next year. I think Purdy is obviously going to be back for another full year. And this guy has incredible potential and NFL potential as well. Dual threat guy. And be on the lookout for this team in general with Purdy back for another full year. I've, I had that existential crisis with the Cyclones earlier this season when I bet them against my Hawkeyes. Um, luckily got the, the right number in that one in cash because the Hawkeyes did win that game. It was, it was actually the perfect scenario because the Hawkeyes won, but Iowa State covered for me. But, um, but that was a tough one for me that week because I loved Iowa State in that game. And they've been a great buy-on team at the start of the year. Unfortunately, the betting market caught up on them, like, right away. So they actually went under their regular season win total. They had seven wins that closed up at eight at some spots. But that should set us up for next season. I think the fact that they went 7-5 and five this year, maybe a little more under the radar. And I actually think that they're going to have legitimate Big 12 title hopes next year, uh, especially with Hurts gone at Oklahoma. And speaking of Oklahoma, Iowa State played Oklahoma very tight when they played at Oklahoma earlier this year. And they're not going to be slouch here either against Notre Dame, who is a more talented team, obviously, than Iowa State. There's a reason why they're favored, and I think they should be favored in this game. But at the same time, you, you could probably guess who I like in this spot. It's the Cyclones. Unfortunately, I was really hoping for a better number. Uh, four and a half would have been ideal here for a full position. But even so, when you consider everything, I think the market's clearly – Pricing in Notre Dame's lack of motivation, not used to being in this spot at the Camping World Bowl. I don't think that excites the Notre Dame players or the fans that much. Um, they did finish 10-2, and two, but they're playing in this game, the Camping World Bowl. So how much do they get up for it? On the flip side, you have Iowa State, who's never played Notre Dame in the past. And also, it's an Iowa State team that travels well. Those The Cyclones, I mean, as a Hawkeye myself, I have to give them credit. Cyclones do travel well to these neutral sites. So they're going to have a huge crowd presence in this game. I heard they even sold out um, their, their allotment of tickets and asked for more down in Florida for this one. But Iowa State, they've played a lot of close games. I think I heard somewhere that their combined total um, in four of their losses, you can combine the total of points to 11. Sorry, I, I probably could have said that better, but... Of those four losses, they lost by a combined total of 11 points. And one of them was Oklahoma, like I said. Um, and another one was obviously Iowa, like I already said, too. So the fans are going to travel. I think you should get on board the Purdy train now. This is his coming out party. Iowa State, great chance to win this game outright. And this is the, the week where I think Purdy can get on the map with the more casual college football fans. All right, let's now dive in to the college football playoff. And for that, I'm going to move on to an interview I had with Joe Rogers, writer at Bet Chicago Bet Indiana News. Uh, we interviewed, or we, we spoke about this uh, these two games yesterday, uh, the day after Christmas. So I'm going to jump to that interview now. And we're going to break down the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl. Interview time. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back with Joe Rogers, in my opinion, the best sports betting writer in the biz. He's back to give us his take on the college football playoff this Saturday. How's it going, Joe? Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you, too. It's a busy time of year over here, getting ready to move next week. So, yeah, my my Christmas has uh, involved packing boxes and eating Little Caesars, so. Oh, man, Little Caesars. So you're about to move to Chicago. You will never want Little Caesars the rest of your life after you come here. So enjoy the Little Caesars while you can because you're about to turn you into a – you're about to see some – or come across a lot of good pizza when you get out here. That's right. Giordano's or somewhere else? Giordano's is my go-to usually for deep dish, although honestly like Lou Malnati's. I'm not one of those guys that like has to like – just pin myself to one pizza chain and like hold on to it for dear life and just hate everything else. I'm, I love them all, man. Like I usually my, I think I've told you this in the past. It pretty much has to end in a vowel, the the name of the pizza place for it to have any validity in my opinion. Although there's one massive exception that Chicagoans know about Pequod's pizza. Uh, that's like a notable exception. That place is awesome too. But, but yeah, yeah. To answer your question, Giordano's, Lumalnati's, you can't go wrong, man. It's so good. There you go. Nailed it. Yeah. Hopefully, I don't I didn't, uh, make any people mad by saying that. But, uh, but yeah, so you're you're going to be also going out. I mean, we'll talk about this when we break down the Fiesta Bowl. But you're going to be flying out to Arizona. You're telling me actually before we started recording here that you might even you're checking the ticket prices on Clemson, Ohio State. Potentially might might have a report for us there. If you yes, yes, I'm going to need the prices to go down a little bit more. But I think I can talk my wife into going if it's. Uh, under 150 bucks or so for for reasonable seats. I don't want to stand the whole game, but I don't think there's going to be. I don't think it's going to sell out by any means. So hopefully we can sneak in somehow. So so if worst case scenario happens and I have to text you to like you know streak across the field or something like that just to like make sure the game doesn't end and I lose my bets, you'll be. Maybe yes. Be there. For, for the right price, of course. For the right price, <laughs> likely you know. I'd put it at about five hundred to one odds on that, but you know, <laughs> I'm a good I'm a good friend, so anything can happen. Yeah, man. Everyone has a price. Everyone has a price. <laughs> All right, let's, let's start this off. We, we're gonna break down both the Saturday college football playoff games. We're starting with the Peach Bowl, not the one you'll be streaking at, but uh, Peach Bowl's in Atlanta. LSU laying thirteen and a half versus Oklahoma. The totals at seventy six. The last time I saw it. Uh, so LSU's back in Atlanta for the second time, back-to-back games. They beat Georgia there in the SEC title game. I, I made it worth a point to my line, um, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Really quick, Joe, Joe Burrow, obviously the Heisman winner for LSU. Uh, in for a letdown spot, that Heisman curse. Eric Dewberry, our co-worker over at Bet Chicago, Ben and Deanna News, wrote a really awesome article on, on Heisman winners. And he he dug up some interesting info that six since uh, 1982, Heisman winners laying five points or more are eight and nine straight up and three and fourteen against the spread. That's 17.6 percent, and that applies to to Joe Burrow here. Uh, you think you think that LSU might be laying too many points in this one? I think um, that Oklahoma is the right side. I think that you've just seen the last time. Before the show started, there were like two 14s that were popping, and now I see four or five that are popping. 
So, but but first, Caesars took a sharp bet on under seventy-seven. They took respected play on LSU up to thirteen. It hit fourteen. You saw some brief buyback. Right now, like I said, there's a handful of fourteens popping. I think we'll get to fourteen and a half. That's my price point. I'll be looking to take Oklahoma there. Look, we know LSU is going to score at will with this powerful offense against an Oklahoma defense that will be without two defensive starters. From its already suspect unit, it ranks outside the top 15, both rushing and passing explosiveness. But I think OU will have just as much success through the air. LSU is bottom 20 nationally in defending pass explosiveness and is below average in sack rate. That type of weak secondary is just going to leave the back door open. We saw Arkansas, Ole Miss cover even late in the fourth. Last year, Oklahoma spotted Alabama with 28 points and battled back for a cover. I don't think LSU will get out to that big of a lead, but a similar game script could occur, and I'll take the coaching staff, the roster that's been there before in Oklahoma. I'm with you on that. Um, I, I did take some of that that plus 14 already. I got a little bit, but um, yeah, like you said, if it gets to 14 and a half, that's when I'll, I'll really get involved for like a, a full unit position. But no, I, I agree 100. It's just just a numbers play here. I mean, if the line was you know single digits, if you're looking at the looking at LSU's way, but my my angle too is the under, uh, but particularly the first half under. I mean, I, I made the game 73, but. Um, I usually love unders in these spots just because the teams tend to come out a little tight in these games. You know, it's a big stage college football playoff. And, and I, I think it really, a case could be made here just from a, not a numbers angle, but just from a handicapping angle on the first half under, because Oklahoma, as we know, they kind of make their living off those Lincoln Riley trick plays. You know, they, they just run a lot of gadget offense, offensive plays and stuff. And I feel like in this first half might be seeing a little bit more conservatism from them early on. If you, you know, just a couple punts will get us there. I mean, the first half under, we're looking at 38. And I think 38 would be my, that's my goal price. I haven't fired on it yet, but anything at 38 or better, I think this one first half could stay under. kind of want to, I like taking out, you know, that end game scenario where teams are playing catch up ball. You open up more picks. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. Yeah. But that's, that's my thought. I mean, I'm, I'm looking, I guess I've, it just makes sense to also uh, look Oklahoma's way in the first half, maybe even, a little correlated parlay Oklahoma and the under in the first half as well. Yeah, I definitely like that. Like the first half underplay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's, uh, that's the first one. And obviously LSU or the market's expecting them to, to obviously come out of that game, but contrasting that with number two, the second game of the day, the one that you might, you might be at the Fiesta bowl university of Phoenix stadium in Arizona. Uh, this one, I mean, we were talking about it before we started recording. I, I think it's probably the best. I, I can't imagine a college football game that I've looked forward to more from like a just competitive standpoint, but I think this is pretty easily the best college football playoff semifinal that we've seen so far. Both these teams are uh, ranked number one and number two in yards per play margin in the country, points per game margin. They're number one and number two. And I think this could end up being like a de facto national title game if, if LSU struggles to beat Oklahoma. Whoever mm-hmm. wins this team's going to be. Whoever wins this one's going to be favored, and and if Oklahoma does somehow beat LSU, whoever wins this game is going to be laying double digits in the title game, you know, barring a, a crazy injury or two. But uh, you you wrote about this one uh, for Bet Chicago, and I, I kind of know where you stand and, and Bet Indiana News. But uh, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think they're number one and number two in scoring margin per game. Both yeah. are above thirty five points. Just 
outrageous, but just a quick action update. Clemson took early money, early sharp money. They actually opened as a one point dog and now two point favorite. It actually hit 2.5 in New Jersey at points bet, but only for a couple minutes. I highly doubt it gets to three. Dave Sharpan, uh, CG Technology told me he fully expects Ohio State money to come before Saturday. Um, but I don't think it's going to push it to three. I like Clemson a lot here. I bet them at uh, one and a half and I bet them at minus one if and when they play LSU. So safe to say I like, you know, Clemson to win it all. A lot of people will point to Clemson's strength of schedule, right? 67th nationally. Who have they beaten? But they still went 10 and three against the spread, right? They're still outperforming the market, even though they played this, this trash schedule, right? So tell me exactly which Ohio State opposing quarterback you're impressed with that Ohio State has beaten. Shea Patterson, Jack Cohen. Patterson uh, threw for 250 yards in the first half, and the Buckeyes needed to come back to beat Cohen the second time. Now they get future number one pick, Trevor Lawrence, and Clemson's dynamic passing attack, which has won you know 28 games in a row. And so because of Ohio State's schedule, I, like last season they ranked 62nd nationally in S&P Plus uh, passing and 115th in ISO PPP, which is a an explosiveness, explosiveness metric. Mm-hmm. So they're much improved on paper this season. But again, look at those offenses, those quarterbacks that they've faced. Like I'm not sold that – they're that much improved. So and, he, and Shea Patterson, like put, he was moving the ball on them in that game too. So it's, they yeah. were doing that well. Yeah. Them. They, they had two turnovers, I think in the red zone and another turnover that really changed the outcome of the game. But yeah, Ohio state's defense also ranks outside the top 75 in explosiveness on uh, containing the rush this season and Clemson 6.1 yards per rushing attempt this year. ETN, he's been, I think his rushing yard prop I liked over 99 and a half. Um, I also like Clemson to go over their team total prop at 32.5. So this is, this is Clemson for me. Um, and I think there's a lot of correlated uh, props that you can go off of that. Uh, Westgate had their um, props out on, I think it was last Friday, Justin Fields over 17.5 total completions. I think Brent Venables will take away Ohio State's best option, which is J.K. Dobbins, and really force Fields to beat them with his arm. I don't think he can do it, especially with his knee being banged up. He's less mobile, and Clemson is going to bring a lot of pressure, force a lot of quick, shorter throws, higher percentage throws, like they did against Bryce Perkins. He completed 27 passes you know, not for a lot of yards and didn't, you know, score any points, but he was still checking it down, checking it down. And Ohio State, when they played from behind, it was against Wisconsin. Against Wisconsin, Fields had 19 passes completed. You know, I expect similar games, game script on Saturday. So I think Ohio State's playing from behind. There's a lot of different ways you can go with that, but it's Clemson at the end of the day for me. And I, I love that Fields angle and that Fields prop. I want to want to rush to I want to pause this right now and bet that. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, if you're if you are if you like Clemson like you do in that game, uh, 
I'm personally, I have it. I, I was telling you, I, I have it graded as you know, take three with either side here. Um, I I do favor Clemson in this one, numbers wise, but barely. Um, situationally, just to add on what you were saying, I mean the Dabo Sweeney angle, um, playing mm-hmm. in bowl games. Um, what do I have here? I've got some some stuff written down. Well, he's okay. So Ryan Day, obviously Ohio State's coach, the experience factor with Sweeney. That's what I've written up. But Sweeney is nine and one against the spread the last ten years in his bowl games, and eight and two straight up in those. And nine of those ten games, they were underdogs. So obviously he thrives in this spot. He's not an underdog here, but but still he he, he covers spreads in bowl games. That's what Dabo Sweeney does. And and Ohio State has showed that vulnerability at the end of the season. Needed that second half comeback. Mm-hmm. Big Ten championship game, like you said. So, you know, I, if this gets to three, I'm going to probably scoop up some Ohio State. But I, t- I hear what you're saying on Clemson, uh, just for the simple fact that you know they're, they're 28 straight games, like you said, 10 and three against the spread this year, and people are still disrespecting them. It seems like, and and yeah. I feel like Debo Sweeney, the ultimate motivator, could be. You know, he's telling them this. I'm sure it's like you guys are the disrespected team, even though the mark, you know, the betting market has you as a favor. People think you shouldn't be there for all these reasons. So. So, uh, no, I, I, I hear you. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the total on this one? I mean, it's sitting 63. Some of what you're saying was, was seems like it was a good case uh, uh, for well, for the under. But, yeah, what do you think? I would lean I would lean to the full game over and first half under, kind of like uh, the Peach Bowl. Every, everything that you said to the Peach Bowl, I think, applies, applies yeah, here. Awesome. It's almost like a like look to maybe live bet the over if they start slow and tight in this one. But um, I know you said the Clemson team total looked good, especially at thirty two and a half. You can get it. Thirty three is a win number. I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think Clemson will have success with their with their explosive plays, and I think Ohio State has has an advantage as well with uh, with Dobbins, especially if they can get him when Clemson brings some pressure and they can just hit a screen pass and do that sort of check down thing and have a lot of success on, on short yardage passes that will we'll keep adding up. But uh, yeah, I like, I like the full game over 63 mm-hmm. and sure. first half under. Yeah. I'll probably Ooh. split those. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. It's a, it even like stands to reason that if you were going to look at full game over, you know, first half under just way to bet it live you know if it's get a better number at that point but um but no yeah if it's so like i i don't know like i was i was thinking over this one like i i really have no like big lean like numbers wise on it but it's uh some of the stuff you're saying it really makes me think that the over could be worth a look and also like trevor lawrence being underrated too i mean uh Dabo sweeney it's like he he kind of like People obviously thought that Trevor Lawrence was going to be a huge Heisman candidate. He was a huge Heisman mm-hmm. favorite at the start of the year, but I feel like Dabo Sweeney just he didn't even allow Lawrence to like focus on that at all. You saw him take out Lawrence out in the fourth quarter a lot. Yeah, and and I feel like it's like building towards this moment almost where he can muster that all up. Like, hey, hey, Trevor, you know this is yeah. your time to try it out. You you always hear Bill Belichick saying, you know, our focus is peaking at the right time. I think Ohio State has peaked, and I think Clemson is peaking at this moment. So right now, Trevor Lawrence, his last – I forget how many games he's on, but his last X amount of games, he's thrown 21 touchdowns and zero interceptions. Like this offense is clicking at the right time. 
whereas Ohio State, you know, their past three games, they've given up more sacks in each progressing game. And that was against, you know, Michigan, um, who they faced before that, Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And now they get Clemson, which Clemson, – I mean, Clemson lost a lot to their front seven, but they're still arguably more talented than uh, Wisconsin's front seven. So they'll get, awesome. they'll get to them. They'll get to fields, and they'll get up to fields to win the game, I think. That's great stuff, man. All right, dude. Well, yeah, any, any other thoughts? That's uh, that's excellent stuff. And everyone obviously can find you on, on Twitter at, uh, at RogersBC, Rogers with the D. BC is in Bet Chicago. But uh, any last end-of-the-year thoughts or, or advice for the betters out there? Get ready for college hoops. So we're going to bring yeah. it, right, Mike? Yeah, buddy. Absolutely. Mike's still on a heater with his totals. Uh, cooled off a little bit. Cooled off a little yeah, but we're still we're still getting there in totals, but but uh, yeah, not not so much on the sides lately. But it's a long season, man. We'll get back with totals. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we'll be back. Doggy just unders. <laughs> it's the unders, man. The under train. All right, dude. Well, we'll bring you on soon. Enjoy the trip, and uh, next time I bring you on the pod, you're uh, you're going to be a full fledged Chicagoan, my friend. That's right. In person. That's right. Yeah, we'll do some live doggy juice in person. Heck yeah. All right, dude. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mike. Take care. All right. Thank you very much, Joe. Moving on to Monday, December 30th bowl games. Some of these will be pretty quick because I don't have too much on them, but I just want to touch on all of them just to let you know maybe like what my thoughts are and maybe a couple betting angles you're not considering as you handicap these games too. But starting with the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, Western Kentucky, three-point favorite against Western Michigan and Dallas. That's at 11.30 a.m. Central Time on ESPN. This is one of the games I don't have much for you. My numbers do lean Western Michigan on the spread. It's an early start, um, but anything – you know, catching a, a full field goal here for Western Michigan on my numbers actually doesn't look like too bad of a spot, but no play for me on that one. The Franklin Mortgage Music City Bowl. Oh, sorry, the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. Got to get these sponsors right. Uh, Mississippi State is a four-point favorite against Louisville. That, that game's at uh, 3 o'clock Central Time on ESPN on the 30th. I lean Louisville here, or Lowellville. But this line's right about where I have it. An interesting trend, though, in this one, as I touched on last week, teams that have won three or fewer games the previous season are 16-2 and two against the spread in bowl games over the last three years. And Louisville applies to that because they had a terrible year last year and now they're back in a bowl game in 2019. Uh, Numbers-wise, I do lean their way, but at the same time, just not enough to get a play. This is perfect for live betting purposes, though, in my opinion. The Red Box Bowl at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, is a six-and-a-half-point favorite over Lovey Smith in Illinois. It's at 3 p.m. Central Time on Fox. Illinois plus sevens in pocket here. I mentioned this one a few pods ago. I think I've mentioned them a couple times. I wrote about Illinois uh, just quickly covering this game. I was I took an early position on the fighting line and catching a touchdown. I think it's um, a spot where they're going to be certainly excited to be there. It's their first bowl game in over five years, their first bowl game with Lovey Smith. It's a simple numbers play for me, too. I have it around a field goal on my stuff, so I have it graded as a lay, a pick em, or take seven spot. So I will take the seven with the fighting Illini. 
the Capital One Orange Bowl. Number nine, Florida is laying 14 and a half against number 24, Virginia. That's a night game, 7 o'clock Central Time on ESPN. It's the first ever New Year's Six game for the Cavaliers, and they'll certainly be excited to be there, but at the same time, they're taking a massive leap in competition here. It's not like Virginia did well the last time they stepped up in class against Clemson in the ACC title game. I think it was 52-17 to in the final score, but everything Virginia does is through quarterback Bryce Perkins, and they have cashed many a ticket for me this year. The Bronco Mendenhall is an excellent coach, excellent at getting his team ready for these games, but their offense is just going to be overmatched here against Florida. Line-wise, I mean, in terms of the point spread, I have this line pretty much right where it is. It's slight lean to Virginia, catching the hook on the two touchdowns, but not enough to make a bet, at least right now for me. That's the way I'd look, especially in a game with you know, a bit of a lower total in Florida. It's hard to ask them to get too much of a margin in this spot, but at the same time, I really, it's hard to imagine Virginia moving the ball with that offensive line against Florida's defensive line. It's a huge mismatch in that game. So I, I lean Virginia's way, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to take out any cash and bet on them in this game. <laughs> Moving on to Tuesday, New Year's Eve games, the Belk Bowl. Really quick one here. Virginia Tech is a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Kentucky. The game's in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's 11 a.m. Central Time on ESPN. This is Bud Foster's last game as the defensive coordinator for Virginia Tech. He's been there for like 30 years. And Virginia Tech's defense, they're going to face a Kentucky offense that pretty much just runs the ball and does a lot of wildcat. I expect the players to play for Foster here for Virginia Tech, and they've had extra time to prepare for this Kentucky rushing attack. So in this spot, I think it's a good look to take the Hokies at 2.5 under a field goal. They win the game by a field goal. You cash. I haven't gotten involved yet, but I actually think I'm going to do it right when I'm done recording this podcast. Hokies, minus two and a half. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Arizona State laying four against Florida State. And the game's at one o'clock central time on CBS. I'm leaning Florida State here. Arizona State fired up their their coordinators. I think catching four here is a good look on the dog, but it's hard to gauge where the Florida State players' heads are at here, so... Um, I'm probably going to stay off this one, but my lean is to the dog, Florida State, in the Sun Bowl. The AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Got number 23, Navy, against Kansas State. Navy laying two and a half. The game's at 245 Central Time on ESPN. Service Academies, 20 and 9 against the spread in bowl games over the last 20 years. Case could be made that you know they don't get sucked into the hoopla that normal players, normal teams do during bowl week, maybe if the team's traveling to an exotic tropical location. Service academies, you know, they have their shit together a little more, less likely to go out and party and get distracted. That could, you know, that could be part of it, I think. Maybe lack of sex appeal with some of these offenses as well. But 20-9 and against the spread in bowl games over the past 20 years. Navy beat Army in weeks 13, you know, the extra regular season week, and now they're favored over a team that faced much better much tougher competition, uh, much harder schedule this year in Kansas State. And Kansas State's impressed this season. After Schneider, after the, the second Schneider era ended, I, I really thought that they'd take a step back this year, but they've impressed. Obviously, they beat Oklahoma at home, one of their biggest wins of the year. I, I lean their way. I'd need a, a, a full field goal to get involved on Kansas State here. If it gets there, I'll probably end up getting involved for a little bit on Kansas State, but um, would definitely need that full field goal. The Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl. Wyoming, minus seven versus Georgia State. 
I have Wyoming in pocket, minus seven. Bet that actually a while ago. It looks like you still get it as I'm recording this. That minus seven still out there. And this one's really all about the Georgia State quarterback, Dan Ellington. He's a great quarterback, and he, he's had a really great year, but he is a damn torn ACL, and he's supposed to have surgery on it after the season ends. I guess uh, he got the go-ahead to play in this game because he can't injure it further or whatever, but you can't help but think he won't be as mobile, which is that's his bread and butter. He's been a mobile quarterback, and he's, he's a talented quarterback. But I heard this per Brad Powers, football handicapper, the first nine games uh, for Ellington this year, he averaged nearly 70 rushing yards per game. But after tearing his ACL, the last three games, negative nine yards rushing. So that's not being properly factored in the line in this spot. And I think Wyoming is just a good look. I mean, otherwise, number, numbers-wise, at a touchdown, it would be pretty close to where I'd have it. But factoring in a little bit of a downgrade for that quarterback, um, Ellington in this spot, I think Wyoming is just a good look at anything less than a touchdown. My numbers do have them a little better than a touchdown, even when not adjusting for the quarterback anyway. So it would be... Decent play as it is, I think the quarterback thing really gets you into a pretty good spot here. So, Wyoming, minus seven. The Valero Animal... I was going to say Animal Bowl. The Valero Alamo Bowl, number 11, Utah, is a seven-point favorite against Texas, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. I lean Texas here and would love to get the hook uh, to get to, to seven and a half, catch seven and a half points, and I'll probably end up taking some Texas, actually. I'm talking myself into it as I'm kind of thinking about it here, but I have not taken a, a position here. But it's your classic Tom Herman as an underdog spot, 15-5 and five against the spread in that spot now. But more importantly, it's hard to imagine Utah getting too emotionally invested here after losing out in the Pac-12 title game and a chance at the college football playoff. This game's also in Texas, so clear crowd advantage for, for Texas. And Utah is also dealing with quite a few cluster injuries. And the reason's also not – to take Texas here. The reason why I have not bet them yet, though, is because they did fire both their coordinators. Didn't want to touch them in this game. This is almost this is actually a stay-off game when the lines were first posted for me because numbers-wise it looked pretty good at 7 when you just considered everything. But, um, you know, I figured there'd be the letdown spot for Utah, but at the same time, Texas firing the coordinators. Just wanted to stay off. But the new guys coming in could bring new uh, new fire, inject a new energy into the, the program, a little extra pep in the step for Texas. And I also think they can muster some of the magic that they had last year with Sam Ellinger uh, beating Georgia. We were all over that last year. If you listen back to the Doggy Juice Pub, we were all over Texas catching 13 against Georgia in their bowl game last year, a game that Texas won outright. I think that line actually closed 11 and a half or something like that. But um, I could see them winning this one too. So be sure to scoop up some Longhorns money line as well on this game. Moving on to the New Year's Day games, the Outback Bowl, we have number 12 Auburn, seven-point favorite against number 18, Minnesota. That's at noon Central Time on ESPN. I'm leaning the way of the favorite here. I don't think Auburn is going to take this one lightly. Bo Nix should have success against the Gophers' defense. There's also a pretty damn big strength of schedule disparity between these two. I think the biggest strength of schedule disparity, or one of the biggest I've seen in some of these Power 5 matchups in the bowl season. Um, it's over 60 spots, it looks like, but or yeah, close to it. But at, at 7, it's really a no-play in this spot for me, but I do lean Auburn. Like I said, if it gets under a touchdown, that's when I start to consider a position, but it's just too hefty of a price tag right now. The VRBO Citrus Bowl, Alabama, lane seven against Michigan at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, also at noon central time. This one's on ABC. 
This one's interesting because the whole conversation's about how Alabama, you know, they don't care about being here. They're, they've been in the college football playoff all five years of its existence. How motivated are the Bama players going to be in this spot? And all the Michigan players are going to play. Harbaugh needs the win like blood. But at the same time, I think the market's pressing all that in. They're pressing in that Alabama uncertainty on which players are going to suit up as well. So you're getting that in the line here. And some defensive players are sitting, some key guys for, for Alabama, but that's clearly being factored in the line as well. On the flip side, Michigan, like I said, full strength. But it does look like all the top Alabama players on offense are going to be playing this one, all the top wide receivers, including Jerry Judy. And I also think that the Bama quarterback, Jones, he's going to come out and play hard with all this Tua talk. Everyone's talking about you know, Tua, is he going to go pro, is he not? I think Jones, it's, he hears all that as well. And a lot of public money, though, on Bama. That scares me quite a bit in this game. So um, it's a tough spot because Harbaugh, I mean, Michigan's still a very talented team. I don't think they're as good as they were last year, but um, still a talented team, and and they obviously have the means to, to beat anybody on any given day. Not Bama, though, when Bama actually cares. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really one of those spots where I want to get involved on Bama laying the points, but it's just so hard just due to the variability of this game because it could be a spot where they just don't bring it at all, bring no energy, and Harbaugh gets his boys motivated. And before you know it, Michigan's actually winning this game outright, but definitely leaning the Alabama side. The Rose Bowl, number eight, Wisconsin, laying three points against number six, Oregon. This game's at 4 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. This one's all about some certain players suiting up. Justin Herbert, the quarterback for Oregon, future NFL player. Running back for Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor, future NFL player. It looks like they're going to suit up for this. Both of these teams have very strong and experienced offensive lines, but defensive line-wise, I actually lean uh, Oregon. I think it's advantage Oregon there. And with a much, much better quarterback, I am definitely leaning Oregon in this spot. And catching a full field goal, I think, is worth a look here in the Rose Bowl. Oregon, on their, you know, their familiar ground here. And I think they can win this game outright easily against Wisconsin. And catching a field goal, I think that's the way I'm going to look. The All-State Sugar Bowl, number five, Georgia, is a six-point favorite against number seven, Baylor. That's 7.45 p.m. Central Time ESPN on New Year's Day. Georgia opened higher, but a few injuries to Lyman has seen this line drop a bit. I think Georgia might be in for a letdown spot. And I do lean Baylor, but just not going to get involved at this price. Matt Rule has done a great job with Baylor. I think they're going to be into this game. I think it is a letdown spot, obviously, after losing to Oklahoma and, and missing out on the college football playoff, the opportunity they had. But I will be interested to see how these teams come out early. And I think this is a perfect live betting game because I could I could see Georgia being really flat and Baylor coming out and, and really pounding them early on. But at the same time, Georgia is the better team. Both these teams were coming out with full motivation. I think this line's right where it should be. So perfect live betting game, Georgia against Baylor. And then moving on to Thursday, January 2nd, the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. We have number 21 Cincinnati against Boston College at 2 o'clock p.m. Central Time on ESPN. I like Cincy here. Cincinnati's a great bet. I think fading Boston College is the move, and catching anything under a touchdown is a good play on Cincinnati. They could be a little disappointed after losing to Memphis again, but Boston College, they're missing A.J. Dillon. 
And, mo- and also more importantly, Boston College fired their coach at the start of the year. Like I touched on, starting out breaking down these bowl games, it's often advantageous to look to fade teams who fired their coach before the bowl prep. There's a lot of distractions, maybe the substitute teacher effect. Players don't care as much, not knowing who their next guy's going to be. So I really, I really think Cincinnati's just worth a good look, numbers-wise and situationally as well. And then the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, Tennessee, laying a point and a half to Indiana. That's 6 p.m. Central Time ESPN on January 2nd. Both teams should be excited to be here. I know Indiana will be because they aren't used to playing in bowl games too often. Tennessee, they're a strong team. I lean their way numbers-wise, but no bet for me in this one, too. I think this is a good live betting scenario. And I actually might end up coming on a side. I have to dive into that one more, to be honest. We we have more bowl games, but I'm since I'm planning on releasing another podcast next Thursday, I'll be able to touch on those Friday and Saturday bowl games. But just so you know, uh, next Friday, January 3rd, we have the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Ohio's laying eight points to Nevada. That game's at 2.30 Central Time on ESPN. Then Saturday, January 4th, we have the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, Tulane, laying seven against Southern Mississippi. That's a morning game, 10.30 a.m. Central Time on ESPN. And then, of course, Monday, January 13th, National Championship game in Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. We don't know the teams yet. If the chalk holds, it's going to be Clemson versus LSU. But looks like Ohio State Clemson is going to be one hell of a game, ladies and gentlemen. So that one could really determine uh, who wins the title. Obviously, whoever wins that. Uh, if they play Oklahoma, they're going to be a pretty big favorite, but they're going up against LSU. That's going to be another close-to-a-pick'em game. And I will break down those final bowl games, like I said, and the national championship in next week's podcast, the first one of the new decade. But for now, let's move on to NFL Week 17. Hello! All right, NFL Week 17 is a whack. We have tons of great coverage on Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News talking about some of this, but... There's a lot of angles, obviously, in Week 17. It's a lot like the preseason, especially the more you dive into it. You have to be aware of each team's motivation, what the coaches are going to end up doing, which players are going to sit, which players are going to start, how long they're going to play for, what the team needs to play for. There's a lot of things at play in a lot of these games, and they're also happening at the exact same time. We have pretty big early slated games, and then we have their afternoon slate, and then one Sunday night game. And then we're going to know the playoff scenario by the end of Sunday night because there's no Monday nighter. Um, in week 17 so 49ers and Seahawks are going to close everything out with the 256th game of the regular season but um, in terms of key spots to look at there's a couple you got to look out for in this early slate of games the Patriots versus the Dolphins and the Chiefs versus the Chargers obviously the Patriots if they win they get home field in the playoffs Chiefs if they win and the Patriots lose they get home field the Chiefs could drop to the fourth spot if they lose and if Tex- the Texans beat the Titans. But a good angle in this one is you know they're going to come out playing hard at the beginning as Patriots look to play them in the first half, look to play the Chiefs in the first half. I think Patriots minus eight first half, Chiefs minus four first half. They're prevailing market numbers right now. But because there's no question they're going to come out swinging in those first halves. But if New England does have a big lead, you might see the Chiefs laying off the gas in the second half of their game. Uh, although they do have to worry about dropping to number four with a loss and a Texans win. But to that end, also with Tex- with the Texans, we have an interesting scenario in that AFC South. If Kansas City ends up losing, like I said, we have to look out um, for the Texans. So I think if Kansas City loses, you got or it looks like they're going to lose that game to the Chargers, you've got to bet on the Texans. And the, you're going to see the line and the market adjust accordingly, so you're going to have to be quick on it. But once it becomes clear that Kansas City's going to win, I think it's a good look to maybe – 
look at the Titans, although that's already factored in. I think Titans are laying five and a half on the road against the Texans this week. So the market's not really buying under the fact that Bill O'Brien, the Texans coach, said he's going to start his guys. But he's going to start his guys, and they're going to try and win if Kansas City loses. So, And that game's played later on, so you do have the advantage of knowing the result beforehand. But be, pay attention to the marketplace. If Kansas City ends up you know, looking like they're going to lose that game, bet the shit out of the Texans. Pretty simple. Um, and then I talked to Chris Andrews, veteran odds maker over at South Point earlier today, and he told me some interesting stuff and how he has to tell his bosses that he has no idea what the book needs, <laughs> what, what they need until the post time, um, until the games are about to kick off in NFL Week 17. The, bet is, the betting is usually really fluid, but this week is way more fluid than most. And he said that there's a really interesting discrepancy in some of these games, most notably um, with most of the point spread bets on the Niners in their game, but most of the money line bets are on the Seahawks. So he told me that the books will definitely be cheering for a spot where the, I mean, it'll be a dream for them if the, the Niners won the game by one or two points, but Niners even by a field goal wouldn't be too bad. Um, but yeah, more on that game later. In terms of games, I have positions on the Giants. I got it at plus four and a half. It's at four right now. I think it's good at anything four better. Currently at four as I record this. It's just the ultimate contrarian divisional home dog spot, but there's lots of reasons to like this one. It's a classic letdown spot for the Eagles after they beat the Cowboys last week. Daniel Jones, rookie quarterback for the Giants, he didn't play the Eagles the last time they squared off on primetime on, on uh, December 9th. That was Eli Manning. And also there's the angle of Saquon Bar- uh, Barkley rush yards. I think he needs like 87 or in the high 80s to cross 1,000 yards. I think they're going to try and get him there, so... Looking over on that prop, you got to get involved in that early because I'm talking about it. I'm not the only one talking about it. So it's going to be something you know, It's pretty pretty square public play. But if you can look to get involved early before everybody else bets on it too at a worse number, you might even be able to get yourself a little middle. Who knows? But um, Another game I like, under 37.5 in the Ravens-Steelers. The Ravens are resting everyone in a game with – and by everyone, I don't mean everyone. I should also – See, blanket terms like that actually cause problems, so I'm actually going to slap myself in the wrist there. They're not resting everyone. They're resting key players, but the Ravens still have a lot of guys that are integral to their success in the playoffs. A lot of those guys are going to suit up against the Steelers, and the Steelers need this game like blood. And in a game with RG3 and Duck Hodges as the quarterbacks against two of the league's top defenses, especially the Steelers, who need this game like blood, I'd love the under anything above the relatively key number of 37, which is a relatively key number on totals. Um, naturally, we can get burned by a, a defensive touchdown or some short fields in this one, but at 37, this one's just too high, uh, in my opinion, in a spot where you know the Steelers need this game for the playoffs and the Ravens' defense. They're going to be eager to keep momentum heading into their bye week in the postseason. So, and, and there's also the angle that John Harbaugh, Ravens coach, he's awesome against the spread in the preseason, which is why I would advise not betting on the Steelers, even though the line has moved on them too. I mean, the market expects them to win this game, of course, but wouldn't really bet against Harbaugh here because he loves getting his teams motivated in these spots, and his, his preseason ATS record is eye-popping. So it's, it's a stay away from me spread-wise, but I love the under. Teasers. Best one of the week. Uh, check out my teaser of the week article or my teaser candidates article for Ben Chicago, Ben Indiana News. Best one I found this week, Chiefs minus 2.5, Jets plus 8.5. I think the Jets have moved to one-point dogs now, um, so you can only tease them up to seven, so it kind of lost its value by this point. That's why you got to read that shit and get involved, get involved right away. But that's my teaser of the week. I also like the Bengals as a teaser option. Bengals played hard last week, even 
um, if you were watching the Dolphins game, um, they almost came back down 22 in the third quarter and won the game outright, brought it to overtime. But they've locked in the number one pick. I expect them to bring it against their in-state rival Browns this week um, at home in, in Cincinnati. And, and Cleveland blew their playoff chances, whatever small chances they had last week. So how much are, are they really going to get up for this one? I think Cincinnati can uh, keep this one close, and I think they're a great teaser option. I'm not going to bet them straight up but or uh, on the spread, but I think they're a really good look if you can get them up to 8.5 on the teaser. Um, also in a relatively low-scoring game. And finally... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this one up with the final game of the regular season, the Niners and the Seahawks. For those of you who were on the Niners at the start of the season with me, we're in an interesting spot with our NFC West futures. One of the first articles I wrote when I started writing for Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News, if not the first article I wrote, was why people should buy on the Niners this year. And I recommended in that article, you can Google it, just Google like Bet Chicago, Kyle Shanahan or 49ers. Um, but I recommended their season win total over eight, yes to make the playoffs at plus 240, and the yes to win the NFC West. For that NFC West future, I got plus 525. I think they're plus 475 at the worst uh, before the season started. I think the going rate was you know, around five to one. But now we're sitting in a spot where San Francisco is a three-point favorite, even three-and-a-half-point favorite at Seattle on Sunday night to decide the division. So not going to cash that NFC West bet unless San Fran wins the game. So they are mutually exclusive. It's a really simple spot. But I wrote about this game as well for Bet Chicago, Ben Indiana News. And in that, I kind of explained that I think this line is a bit inflated if it gets up to three and a half. It's certainly no value on the Niners laying three points here on my stuff. So to that end, with that thinking, there's nothing wrong with scooping some Seahawks money line at plus 160 or better if you have that that Niners NFC West ticket, just enough to cover your original investment, maybe lock in a little bit of a profit, but don't go too crazy and take away too much of that Niners equity. The fact that this line could get to three and a half, though, I think the the optimal move if you're looking to hedge and lock in a profit without giving away too much of your equity is do a split ticket on the Niners at plus three and a half and, and on the Niners, sorry, sorry, on the Seahawks at plus three and a half and on the Seahawks money line plus 160 or better. Maybe split it right down the middle for a little bit. So there is that chance, you know, if the Niners win the game by exactly a field goal, you're probably just going to push your your um, your hedge bet and just recoup everything on the Niners. Obviously, if they if they win the game outright, you're going to get that NFC West ticket cashed. But if the Seahawks do end up winning the game, you're going to get that. You're going to still scoop up some cash. Either way, we're a winner on that one. Um, and then another thing to close out the season pre-flop preseason bets. I gave this one out before the season started. Jameis Winston, passing yards, champion, 15-1. to 1. Um, He's 309 yards up on Dak Prescott, who's the only other player who's a chance to surpass him this week. Just saw today that Jameis Winston's questionable. If he sits, that's like a super bad beat um, <laughs> because he's so close to winning that, that title. I mean, Dak, I don't think you can hedge that because I think Dak's passing total, I don't know if it's going to be over 309, but um, that's, a hard, that's a tough one. But it does look like, I mean, Jameis is going to be playing for a new contract, so I can't see him missing the playing field this week, but um, not much you can do with that. If he's going to play, maybe, and you and you followed on that bet, maybe take a little bit of Dak, uh, just his pass yards over, something like that as a small hedge. But I have no, you know, at that point, let's just win the bet because it's pretty much a spot where Dak's not going to win and surpass Jameis unless Jameis sits. So just hope Jameis plays the game and, and we have a winning ticket there. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Podcast. I'll be back next week, next year, 
with a brand new episode, taking a look at everything 2020, Barbara Walters 2020 style. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, follow Doggy Juice at Twitter and Instagram. And good luck with your bets. Hope you all have a fantastic New Year's. Hope, hopefully you enjoyed your holidays and everything. And once again, really appreciate you listening. If you can leave a little review, subscribe on iTunes. Always appreciate it. The five-star ratings as well. But appreciate you guys. Hope you win your bets. And I will talk to you all in 2020. Doggy Juice out.